So if you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 22. We have the verses up here in case you just want to read it up here. That's okay. But if you grabbed one of the Bibles on the way in, it's page 930. 930. Uh, that's Acts 22. And if you need a Bible, you want to need one, take it home. That's our gift to you. Just help yourself to the Bibles there. Take them, give them out, keep it for yourself. <clears throat> so the, the theme, as you know, if you've been coming, but if you haven't been coming, uh, you're just here for the first time. Uh, we're in the book of Acts, which is talking about victory no matter what. Boy, do we need this book today, right? After what we just went through, this after what the country's going through, and after this discouragement um, of, of the elections, especially from a pro-life, spiritual Christian view, that's what I'm going by. I don't care about political parties. I go by the, you know, what what's going to happen to our country if we don't follow God's word. And and we, I'll talk more about that later. But anyway, uh, victory no matter what, no matter what. Victory no matter what, through our faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. And the title for today is The World's Fractures Are Also Open Doors. The World's Fractures Are Open Doors. Or, or um, i got a secondary one. Take advantage of the divisions. Any divisions out there? <laughs> Take advantage of the divisions to drive the gospel home. To drive the gospel home. These divisions are actually an opportunity, which we're going to look at here, okay? But first of all, I want to tell uh, a story of the silo. Now, I've told this story before, but I'm going to add a little bit to the end that some of you might not know. When I was six, my dad built an, a silo, an upright silo. Uh, now they mostly do trench silos, the lower bunk silos. But at that time, there was a lot of tall silos going up. And we built one, and it was about uh, 60 feet high. It's 70 with a dome on top, but it was 60 feet when it was just finished. And it didn't have a ladder yet, and, and even the ladder they ended up putting up didn't have, like, a cage around it. Most of those silos, you see the cage around the ladder going up the side. We never had a cage around that. How we survived, I don't know. But anyway, I was six years old. <clears throat> My dad said, Chuck, Chucky, come on up, this, uh, about 10 minutes, come on up the silo, and, and I need you to help. Because he needed someone to push the levers, you know, he was, he was getting the silage on top and the machinery going. The, the, uh, what's the, uh, I got him at the block. Hey, what's that? Combine. No, the thing that goes on top and spits out the silage and I, uh, not conveyor belt. No farmers here. Anyway, it's, it, it's a, so it's the thing that goes around and shoots the silage out. Anyway, he needed someone to push the, the, the butt. What's that? No, you guys are all close. It'll come back to you. Halfway through the sermon, I'm just going to shout it out. But anyway, the, but the, uh, hawker, no, anyway, the, so anyway, he needed me to push the buttons. And I, I was, I was supposed to come up and push the buttons, so I waited a little while and I started climbing up the silo. I went up the outside and I was doing the rungs. There was no ladder, but there was these metal rungs. And I got headed up and all of a sudden I heard noise behind me. I looked down and my little brother Todd was following me. He's four. And I'm six and he's four. We're climbing up the outside. I'm like, go back down, go down. He went and listened. He's following me. And he, we were just discussing this recently at the last visit. He says he only made it about 30 feet up because that's where the rungs got too far apart. They were you know, close and then they get further apart. But uh, he, but I'm yelling, go down. He wouldn't listen to me, so oh, I'm keep going. All of a sudden, I hear my mom screaming, Todd, come off of that side. 
silo. Get off that silo. You know, he's way up high, hanging on these rungs. You know, come down, Chucky. What are you doing? Get that, get him down. I didn't tell him to come up. You know, and I, and so I, and so she talks, she coaxes Todd into going back down. Who cares about Chucky? She gets Chuck, gets <coughs> six years old, right? <coughs> and, you know, and so she's going back down. He's going back down. She coaxes him down, saves him. But I just keep on going. I get to the top and uh, I said, okay, dad, I'm here. He goes, where? I go, I'm here. He goes, where? There was like this little doorway at the top uh, on the outside. He goes, I don't see you. He's looking on the inside. I go, I'm right here. He goes, are you outside? I go, yeah. You, you didn't tell me where to go. He goes, go back down right now. That's too dangerous. Go back down right now. Now, I was only six, but I was thinking, wouldn't it be safer to put me, let me come into the silo there? Well, I can go back down, you know? But I didn't argue. I never argued with my dad. Ha ha. So anyway, I, I went, uh, I went back down and I get down and my mom's still screaming, why'd you take Todd up the silo? Who cares about Chucky? why do you take Todd up the, what are you doing? She starts screaming, go, what are you doing climbing up to this? I'm using my mom's actual voice. I was really good at imitating it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> she's watching it. She's probably enjoying this. And so, uh, I didn't use any of the bad words. But anyway, uh, so she, she, I go, Ma, Dad told me to climb up. And she goes, what? Yeah. He, he, he said to climb this out. Yeah. So then she goes, she, she stopped yelling at me, and she went to the chute where it goes up. And she starts screaming, Bill, what are you doing? Tell the kids to climb up the silo. I didn't tell them to climb down. On the outside, I said climb up the inside. Well, you shouldn't be telling them to do that. you got to be. You know, there's like going back and forth. I didn't care. They're fighting, you know. I'm out of this. I'm not in trouble anymore. You know, that's all I cared about, right? And and uh, isn't that what we do as kids, right? You know, we try to get our parents going at each other and sit after after us. And now my, but now it's not so funny because now my kids do it to me uh, and to Kim. They do it to us. And and you would think we're like past it now but on the 14th one laurel is an expert at this she's just an expert at it and it and it's you know dividing us and getting us fighting right and uh it's easy because we're so tired we're so tired you know my it's i'm tired and my 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 kids say why do you let laurel blah 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 i go because i'm really her grandpa you know and i'm tired you know i just tired you know and and the, they don't i said someday you'll get it you know and and but, but she'll go to kim and say can i do whatever xyz and kim will say no you can't do that so she'll wait a little bit and she'll come up to me and say dad can i do whatever and i'll be like okay sure that's fine yeah and then kim will say what what's going on here i told her she couldn't do that and i said well i didn't know right yes we don't know we can't read minds you know and uh and i didn't know and she goes it's it's bigger than that it's because she has you wrapped around her little finger well it's true but i still didn't know i didn't know we're going to see Paul pull a divide and conquer today here in Acts 22:23 in, in the book of Acts, and it's a wild one. And there's some spiritual lessons for us from this divide and conquer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for everybody who's here today, whether they're sitting here or, or watching, listening somewhere. We know that we're, we're listening, we're dialed in for a reason, that your Holy Spirit wants to do something in our life. And Lord, I also pray if anybody has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation, the day they give their life to Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, I'm going to read the passage first of all. Acts 22, verse 30, and I think I'll use this so I get the 
right version here. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by, by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee descended from the Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he had said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously, We find nothing wrong with this man. They said, What if a spirit or angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Very wild story, huh? Sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. Are we living this again? Yes. Uh, verse, first of all, verse 22, 30 were Paul's defense before the Sanhedrin. Uh, remember, they, he'd just been, there'd just been a riot because they saw Paul. You, you weren't here the last couple weeks, listen to that. But verse 30, the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he, he released him and ordered that the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. This is Paul's defense before the Sanhedrin. And without realizing it, this commander is fulfilling prophecy here. He's fulfilling prophecy. Remember Acts 1.8, what Jesus said? He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the first prophecy. But then we connect the dots to Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, uh, this is a different guy, right? Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the kings, before the Gentiles and their kings. And to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul was called to, to carry the, his name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. That was the prophecy that, that Paul was given there in Acts 9 when he was called, when he was still Saul. And we're seeing here that he's before the people of Israel. This is Paul's, this is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 9. He's before the people of Israel. We're going to see the Gentiles and their kings start Next week, don't miss that one, the, ne the Gentiles and their kings, why the Jews first? Why was it always the Jews first? Why was he sent there first? Because God chose the Jewish people, the children of Abraham, to bring salvation to the entire earth through him. Jesus Christ. 
That's, that was where the Messiah was coming through. And that's why Jesus started his ministry with Israel. Because he picked the people of Israel to bring the Messiah. That's why he started his ministry. In John 4.22, he said, Jesus was saying to the, the uh, woman, the, 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 the Samaritan woman, you Samaritans worship what you, what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. God has brought salvation through the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were all Jews. That's where the salvation has come through. Okay? But we, we see in following this, what he said to the Samaritan woman, we see Jesus increasingly ministered to the Gentiles. It started to happen increasingly. In fact, I'll just read one example of this. Matthew 15. Verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is the area of the Gentiles, okay? A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, Gentile woman, Canaanite, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right. To take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He's testing her. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. That's what we see happening in the Gospels, that Jesus increasingly starts reaching out to the Gentiles. And then it's fully fulfilled in the book of Acts, as we have seen in Acts. From this point on, we're going to see Paul focusing on the Gentiles, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. That's exactly what Romans 1.16 is talking about, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Exactly what it's talking about. So, that's why here we see in Acts 23, Paul standing before the Sanhedrin. And Gentiles, we're going to see the Gentiles and their kings in the rest of the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be going for the last five chapters, okay? We're going to see that. So, let's uh, pick it up here with the Sanhedrin. What happens, we'll read it again, Acts 23, verse 1. Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience, conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? 
Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Very, very interesting little passage here where Paul is slapped but obedient to the whitewashed wall. He slapped but obedient to him. The high priest Ananias orders that a hit job on Paul. He's like the godfather, right? Yeah, he's, you know, the mafia. He orders a hit job on Paul and they rough him up. And Paul responds, they, they hit him, and, God, and Paul responds, God will strike you. This was prophetic, very prophetic. Why was it prophetic? What happened to Ananias? He was killed by the Jews. He was killed by the Jews, exactly. When the, when the Jews revolted against Rome and, and at the start of the revolt, the Jews themselves actually assassinated Ananias. Very good, Brenda. Assassinated him. Uh, because he was he was known for his cruelty, he was known by for his violence. He was just a wicked guy, uh, heading up, you know, the, the 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 Sanhedrin, the religious leader of the Jews, right? And Paul also calls him a, not only that God's going to strike you, but he also calls him a whitewashed wall. Where did we hear that before? Jesus, right? What did Jesus call these guys, these, these false, these apostate religious leaders? In Matthew 23, this is, what, this is what Paul's talking about when he calls them a whitewashed wall. We see in Matthew 23, it's explained in verse 27. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Get the whitewashed wall now? You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteousness, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That's what Paul is echoing the words of Jesus himself. He, he's calling them hypocrites, which they were. At this time, uh, during this time, there was this, this tremendous movement to find the bones of all the people buried all over Israel, and they would put them in these tombs. And, and that's where they were collecting. It was like this obsession for the religious leaders to collect these, these bones during the time of Herod. And they, they would put them in these big stone boxes and they would whitewash them white so they would look great but if you looked inside they were you know horrible it'd be like a horror movie right and that's that's what jesus said you guys you all look good to to everybody else but inside you're 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 unclean and paul was saying the same thing you are you're hypocrites he's calling them hypocrites which they were they were accusing paul of breaking the law while they were breaking the law and trying to break his Jaw, right? That's what they were doing. They're breaking the law and trying to break his jaw, and they're hypocrites. But then, interestingly, when these thugs point out that Ananias is actually the high priest, Paul apologizes. Verse 5, Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. He apologized, even though what he said was true. Prophetically, and was Holy Spirit led. The Holy Spirit led him to say it, and it was true. Even though that, even though that was the case, he still shows respect for the authorities and the position of the high priest. 
He still shows that. And we see this all throughout Paul's ministry. In fact, in Romans 13.1, he says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. What? God just did this election? Yeah. And it doesn't look good for us why he did it. Just wait till I get there. Just wait till I get there. Hang on. Hang on. Paul stood up. Paul, when he wrote, wrote Romans 13:1, who was in charge of the world at this time? Who was the Roman emperor? Yeah, I heard it. Nero. Nero. Paul is writing about Nero. You think we have a bed? You know, like our president, you're like our last president. You're like, what's going on in our country? They had Nero. And that's who Paul is talking about. You know, Nero, who lit the Christians up as human candles. Nero, who was the most depraved, wick, um, one of the most. They're, they're all pretty bad as, as time went on. But just a depraved emperor. Unbelievable. But Paul said, we still have to respect him. But he stood up to him. He kept preaching the gospel. He was told not to preach the gospel. He, he didn't obey Nero. He, he obeyed him where he could, but not where it went against God's law. We must obey God rather than men. Wherever he could obey God and Nero, he did it. But whenever it went against, when it went against, he had to choose God or Nero, he picked God. Where he had to choose God or the Sanhedrin, he picked God. He, he, but he, he stood up to him, but he never disrespected Nero. He didn't disrespect the, the high priest. He didn't re- disrespect them. He took his beheading with class. He took his beheading with faith. He took it. He didn't say, this is right. You're a monster. You're wicked. You're going to go to hell, which is all true. But he didn't say it. He took it. He took it. He submitted. And that's why we, we as Christians have, the same, have to have the same attitude. We might not like what's going on in our wicked country, and it's getting more wicked by the moment. By the way, it was pretty wicked before this, too, wasn't it? <laughs> Didn't just get wicked in the last couple of years. But we can't, we can't jump on the bandwagon and say, let's go, Brandon. We can't say it. Christians should not say that. We must respect our leaders, even when they're wicked. And, and yeah, wicked. And guess what? The last president was, too, you know? That we, 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 have to, we, we have to submit to them, but still obey God and take the consequences. We have to take the consequences. That is what the key is. But it has to be clear that we're being punished not for our attitude, not for our disrespectful attitude. It has to be because we are following Jesus Christ, because we're preaching Jesus Christ, because we're being faithful to the gospel and we're being faithful to God's word. That's what has to be. We can't because we're being disrespectful. It has to be because we're following God's word. That has to be very clear. The attitude can't be the issue. Then the Holy Spirit leads Paul to use a brilliant argument, a brilliant argument. Let's start with verse uh, verse 6, Acts 23, verse 6. He pits the Pharisees versus the Sadducees. Verse 6, then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, (laughs) descended from the Pharisees. I stand in trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. 
But Sadducees say there's no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring them in, him into the barracks. So we see what happens here. He pits the Pharisees versus the Sadducees. The Jewish ruling council was made up of two religious political groups. Not just political. We In our country, we have po- two political groups, Republican, Democrats, right? But and then, there they had two religious political groups. And they were the, the two were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, remember the song we sang. You should all know them very well by our song, right? Uh, uh, here, I'm going to try it. Okay. Uh, I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. Come on. I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. Don't want to be a wolf. No. I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Because they're not fair, you see. I don't want to be a Pharisee. No. I just want to be a sheep. I just want to be a sheep. Don't want to be a wolf. Woo! Pretty good. I just want to be a sheep. Now, here we go. I don't want to be a sad, you see. I don't want to be a sad, you see. Because they're too sad, you see. I don't want to be a sad, you see. No, I just want to be a sheep. I just want to be a sheep. Don't want to be a wolf. No. I just want to be a sheep. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right. No, so you're good. You can be in my youth group. You can be in my youth group. All right. So that tells you everything. The Pharisees weren't fair, and the Sadducees were sad. And we're going to see why. The Sadducees were what we call woke today. They were woke. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the supernatural. And not only that, they were in control of the Sadducees. They had the majority. How could they have the majority in the religious group? They don't even believe in supernatural. They don't believe in anything, right? How could that happen, right? They had control. They didn't believe in it. They were the party in control, which is why the Jewish nation was in such a spiritual mess. They didn't even believe in supernatural. They're basically atheists, right? You know, and, and that's why it was such a mess. And they rejected Jesus, too. They rejected Jesus. They pulled their political strings to crucify Jesus. They were the main driving force on that. Remember Caiaphas? was a Sadducee. And, and, and he was... Now, the Pharisees jumped in on it too, but, but they were the main driving force. Now, the Pharisees were different. They were the Puritans of their day. They were the Puritans. They were also very legalistic. They believed the law could save you. It was, everything was about the law. They missed the whole faith thing. It was all the law. And that's why they, they, they gave Jesus such a hard time because they were so into the law where he said, I came to fulfill the law. You can only be saved by faith in me, not by following the law. So they, they gave Jesus a hard time. But they did believe in the resurrection. They did believe in the supernatural. They believed in the resurrection. And many of them ended up believing in Jesus. Well, who's a Pharisee? We know that put their faith in Jesus. Nicodemus, exactly. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus at night. Nick at night, right? Nicodemus. He put his faith in Jesus. And, and not only that, the Bible tells us that many Pharisees put their faith in Jesus. 
They, many of them did, but not all of them, not the majority, but many did. Now, Paul takes advantage of this division between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He pits them against each other. That would be like today going into uh, the Senate or the Congress and dividing the, oops, dividing the, the Republicans and the de- Democrats. That would be like doing, that is what this is a picture of. Not that you would need to do that much because it's already divided, but that's the point, though. That's the point. They were very, very divided. Uh, it would be just like that, uh, like the Republicans and Democrats, only much, much worse. That's why it gets so violent. They have a tug of war with Paul. They're going to tear the guy apart, right? They're going to, and he had to be rescued again. Once again, riots follow Paul wherever he goes, whatever he says, these riots follow. I remember last week. But the best part is he uses this division. He knew about the division. The Holy Spirit led him. He uses this division to make an argument for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did it to, to, to make an argument for Jesus and the gospel. The Pharisees, well, they all start arguing and, and defending Paul, and they're actually fighting for Jesus Christ, right? They're fighting for his resurrection. <laughs> they may not even realize what they were really doing, but they were arguing for Paul's story about the resurrection of Jesus. They're arguing for that, which if it's true... What they're arguing for is Jesus' resurrection. If that's true, what does that make him? The divine son of God. The Messiah. That, that's what they're arguing for. This was a brilliant, brilliant tactic, right? Crazy, isn't it? If you think about it, how did Paul come up with that? Yeah, he didn't. The Holy Spirit did. Remember Mark thirteen eleven, where it says, Whenever you are, whenever you are brought, to, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Hang on to that verse. Memorize that verse. We're going to need that verse. We're going to need it in the USA today. And not too long from now, right? That the Holy Spirit gave him these words to speak. In, in the United States today, we need to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, just like they did in the book of Acts. When we see divisions, do anybody see divisions out there? <laughs> right? When we see divisions, see them as openings. Drive the gospel home. When we see a division, we, we see division somewhere, that crack that's there, drive the gospel home. The United States is completely divided. This is God's judgment. Remember I said, does God decide the, ele- the leaders? Yeah, and I believe it's God's judgment. And it's been building for a long time. It didn't start two years ago. It's been building for 30 years. President after president, leader after leader, it's been building. And each one has, has brought judgment in a different way in this time. And, and we are, we are com- this is God's judgment. Our country is completely fractured. There can be no reunifying of these worldviews. There are two different worldviews. Well, about 10 of them, right? And there, there can be no reunifying of these worldviews. The election, look what just happened in the election. I knew the I knew there was going to be a big problem even before they even started reporting the voting. And I'm not going about about parties. You know, I don't care about that. I don't care about all that stuff. But uh, let me explain it. Even before one vote was reported, 
They were showing these polls on the side, the polls. Do you like the president? Do you like the economy? Do you like immigration? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like not paying attention, right? And then all of a sudden they start showing the moral, what we would call biblical issues that really deeply affect our country, our, our, our survival, actually. And they said, what do you think about legalizing drugs? 66% of Americans want to legalize drugs. I'm like, What? And I started to feel grieved. And then they said, what do you think about abortion? 66% of Americans want to keep abortion legal. I'm like, what? And sure enough, the voting and, and afterward, the polling afterward and, and the reporting you know, bore this out. They, they found out later that, that for Roman Catholics, 60% of them voted for the pro-abortion issues. 60% of the Catholics. I'm like, but, hey, poll after poll, you know, Barna polls, you know, you know, one-third of Catholics are born again. The other two-thirds are not. So it kind of matched it, right? Then it did the evangelicals. And they were trying to, they are spinning it, you know, how positive was that, that the evangelicals, 66% of the evangelicals voted for life. 66 voted for life. Isn't that wonderful? 66, it's different with, with the evangelicals. And I was going to throw up. Are you telling me one-third of evangelicals voted for abortion? Is that what you're telling me? That, that makes me sick. That means that at least one-third of just the evangelicals are, are either you know, apostate or completely fake. Neither one's a good picture, right? Because there's no way a true, born-again, spirit-filled disciple of Jesus Christ could support any abortion in any way. Even any candidate who supported it, it'd be impossible. I've, I've had Christians, so-called Christians, say to me, "Oh yeah, but Pastor Chuck, you know, you know, I, you know, it's just one issue. You can't make it one issue. I mean, I can't, shouldn't have to not vote for this person just because of abortion. That's just one issue." I go, "Well, what if it was slavery? What if you're this same candidate believed in slavery? Would you vote for them?" Oh no. Well, well, that's what. What do you mean? It's just one issue. You agree with everything else. It's just they just think slavery is okay. Oh, I could never vote for him. Oh, so you're telling me it's okay to you know, disqualify him over slavery, but not the murder of a baby. Is that what you're telling me? End of conversation. That's the lie. It's apostasy. It's, it's dis- delusion. God is separating the wheat from the weeds. And, and it, it's crazy. Listen, even if I was watching this, I'm like, it doesn't matter what I said to Kim. I go, I don't care what happens in the vote now. The only vote that really matters has already been cast. That's God's vote. God's vote has already been cast. And I don't care if there's a red wave or not a red wave. It doesn't matter. We're under judgment. We are under judgment. The USA is, is completely divided. And will we as Christians... Now, listen, I know a lot of us are upset about seeing where the country is heading and seeing the judgment that we're under. But, but will we... Because we're not done... The country might be done, but we're not done. What did Paul do? He took that division and drove the gospel into that division. And those Sanhedrin, they didn't all become followers of Jesus Christ. Some did, but they didn't all turn to Jesus. No, they were under judgment. They're going to be wiped out in a short time. Ananias is going to be assassinated. Rome's going to come and burn the temple, burn Jerusalem. But they still did their job. They drove the gospel into that division, and that's what we are called to do. 
We're called to stand in the gap. Ezekiel 22:30, where he says, God said, I looked for a man among them who would stand among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. We're called to stand in the gap. We must take advantage of the division. There's a, there's, God has brought this. Take advantage of the cracks to shine the light of Jesus Christ through, to be, to be a witness. Listen, look what just happened in COVID. COVID was a horrible couple of years, right? And all this division and all these horrible things, but our church grew. We saw more fruit in the time of COVID than we have seen many years before. Because it grew. You know why? Because people started in our community, people started to realize that they, they started to see that, well, what's going on here? What's happening to our country? What's happening to our world? What's happening spiritually? And they, and they, and they, they started to see where the country was headed. And, and they watched the NHCC on the videos. So we started doing live stream and, and, you know, we advanced and thank God for Rob coming along just the right time, helping us really take it out there. And they started watching the Daniel Revelation series. And, and you invited people to church and, and you shared Jesus Christ with people out there. Hey, watch this, listen to this. Started talking about Jesus, putting their faith in Jesus. You did that. Uh, and that's what the culmination of our home, home fellowship, Connect the Dots, is all about. I know Joe Simon's got a revelation series going. But God, as what we saw during this time, is God was separating the wheat from the weeds. And God started giving us the fruit here during this time. I know lots of my friends, their churches disintegrated. We're healthier than ever. Because the Holy, because the Holy Spirit is doing the work, using that division and giving us a chance to witness. People who never listened to us before are now listening. Our friends who never had any spiritual interest also like, what? What's going on? Wait, I'm not one of, I don't want to go this direction. Something's not right here. What does the Bible say? A lot, right? Uh, it tells us all things. People are, sh- sh- are, are, are shook up. They see the division. We, and, and as we share our faith and we follow the Holy Spirit's leading, we look for those openings. We look for those cracks. We look for the open hearts and eyes. And we drive the gospel in. We take it in. We sneak it in, whatever. Like, look what Paul did. We follow the Holy Spirit's leading. And we have to be ready. If we do this, we have to be ready for riots. Because uh, it's going to upset people. Look what happened with Paul. Riot after riot after riot. It's okay. That's our job. Did you know that? Our calling is to do this. That's what we're called to do. The truth hurts people. When people are in the dark have you ever had someone come up? Uh, the kids will do it sometimes. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be in the dark. I'll be sleeping. Or we'll just be in the dark watching something in the you know, TV in the dark. And one of the kids will come up with a, the phone with a flash on, you know? And they'll flash it. You, you ever have that happen? I'm like, stop it. Stop it. You know, why? Because it hurts my eyes. Now I can't see. And that's what happens. The light, when we bring the light to people in darkness, it hurts. Their first reaction is to go, oh, thank you. I love that. Could you do that again? I'll hold my eyes open a little wider. You know, no, you're like, ah! That, that's what they're like. Bright light, bright light. You know, they're, like, they're like, you know, gremlins. But anyway, they, uh, they, they, they can't. It hurts their eyes. When you're living in the dark, the light hurts your eyes. 
And, but that's our job, is to flash it into our, their eyes. Our job is to shake up the world. That's our job. What did they say that Paul and the, what were they accused of doing? Turning the world upside down. That was the accusation, and they did. That's our job. Especially as we're in this post-Christian America, that's our job. And I, that's our job is to shake up and, and to turn the world upside down. And I wish I could get it into other pastors' heads. There are some faithful pastors out there, don't get me wrong. But the majority of pastors are afraid. They're scared. Oh, I don't want to lose money. I don't want to lose people. So I'm going to let people believe whatever they want. I don't care what the Bible teaches. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? It's horrible. And, that, you know, I'm watching that polling going on and seeing how horrible it was. And you know what I said? I said, it's the church's fault. It's the pastor's fault. The pastors aren't preaching the truth. It's our fault. It's our fault. Will we as Christians be salt and light? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What is salt's job? It's to slow the rot. Lapis are on it's not going to vote. What's the point? Well, your job is to slow the rot. That's the point. These states where they actually voted to stop abortions in those states. Have you seen the statistics, the number of babies that have been saved, the babies that are alive now? Thousands and thousands of babies statistically are now alive because people voted. It's our job is to slow the rot. Our job is to, to be the light of the light of Christ, to share the light of Christ. Right where we're at, I t- I'm, all the young people out there, you're, you're, I see the, the generation, the young people's generation, the teenagers. Your friends are lost. You know that. They're lost. They're hopeless. That's why they use the drugs. That's why they're cutting themselves. That's why they're starving themselves to death with you know, anorexia and all this crazy stuff. It, it, that's why they're opening these demonic doors. To be demonized. It's crazy. But they're, they're lost and hopeless. I want to encourage you, look for the cracks. It's there. They're not happy. Look for the cracks. Look for the openings. Look, look, send out the hooks. Invite, invite, invite youth group, church, home fellowship, just Bible study, anything. Invite, invite. Look for those cracks. Let, and not only that, let people see our cracks. This is very important. Let them see our cracks. Let them see that we're broken too. Remember we talked about that last week? That they, we understand where they're coming from. We have, we've got our own problems. Might not be your problem, but i got my problems. We're, we have these cracks. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that there's all surpassing powers from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not... Crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. But it starts off with saying, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Some of these clay vessels that were that were hardened by fire. And and then that's where we're we're just dirt. We're just dirt. We're we're cracked pots, right? But the cracks is where the grace of Jesus Christ shines through. We're just jars of clay, dirt. But that's what we have to let people see the light of Christ shine through and be transparent. Maybe you, 
Maybe you're here today and you are the blind. You're spiritually blind. Maybe your eyes have never been opened. Maybe back up a couple verses, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age is blinded. If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are blind. How do I know? Because I was blind. We all were. Before Jesus opened our eyes. And, but if you are blind, you don't have to stay blind. You can have your eyes open right now. Just like Paul, when he, when, with the scales from, fell from his eyes. You, you may be, your life may be cracking up. We're all cracking up. Your life may be cracking up, but, and you're ready to come to the cross. And to Jesus Christ and to receive your sight and to receive real life. To no longer be a spiritual zombie following the world, but to, to follow Jesus Christ and to know true purpose, know true peace, know true life. You can have that today by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life you can have your sight now you can have life now forever now let's pray how is the holy spirit speaking to us maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in jesus christ maybe you're listening watching saying you've never put your faith in jesus christ but your life, you're ready to crack. You always, your life always was cracking, but now you can see it. God puts us in that place to bring us to our knees and to bring us to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross where Jesus died in our place, gave his body, gave his, shed his blood to wash us clean. To give us a brand new life. To allow, the, the, to allow us to receive his Holy Spirit inside of us and make us a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You can have that right now. You might already be having it now. You might just already in your heart be putting your faith in Jesus Christ. But just put an exclamation on it with a, a prayer of faith. God, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I give my life to Jesus Christ. I want a brand new life in Jesus. I don't want the garbage. I don't want the sin. I don't want the shame. I don't want to damage the wounds anymore. I walk away from my old life. I repent of that old life. I give my life to Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus.
If you put your faith in Jesus today, your life will never be the same. You are a new creature, a new creation, a new person. You have a life that starts this very second and goes on through all of eternity with Jesus. If you have taken this step of faith, I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Maybe you're here with a family member or a friend. Maybe you have, you're out watching and you have a, someone at work or at school. Tell somebody. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card, stick it in the box, text me, call me, tell me, tell somebody so that we can be excited for you and, and help you in your new life in Jesus Christ. Help you grow. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? I hope you've been encouraged by this Bible passage today not to give up, to not give up. Yeah, we've got to grieve. We see where our country is headed, is already at. We have to grieve, but we don't give up. Grieve, but don't give up. Look for those openings. Look for those divisions. Look for those cracks to shine the light of Jesus Christ into. Father, I pray that you would encourage us today to do exactly that. To get closer to you and depend on you, not on our political party, not on a candidate, not on a not on a country, not on a constitution. Not on anything except you, Father. To depend on you. To look to you. We pray your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way. In and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen.